0: Hey guys, what's going on? It's your host Hakeem Vallis. I want to just thank you for listening to another episode of the value podcast. And I just want to continuously wish you guys good health throughout these crazy, crazy times throughout coronavirus. If you have the luxury of not having to deal with that or the luxury of not having to deal with any mental health issues, I encourage you right now to stay on offense with whatever you're doing. Hope you enjoy the episode. This episode is an interview from Hakeem's interview series called Perspective, where he interviews people that are 70 years and older. This interview is with Jim Austin, a Vietnam veteran. In this interview, they touch on Vietnam War, regret, and thoughts on prejudices experienced in today's society. What's going on, everybody? I'm here with my second episode of Perspective. I'm here with Jim Austin, also known to me as Papa Jim. Thank you for joining me on the show here. Um, We're going to be talking about. Um, This show is basically called Perspective, mainly due to I'm I'm interviewing a lot of people who have great perspective because they've experienced a lot of different things within their life. Um, And I guess to kind of jump just right into it so we can instantly start opening up your mind, um, first question I have for you is what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned in your life? Uh, I think one of the most important is do not take life for granted.
1: It uh, could be snuffed out in a moment's notice. I realized that when I was in service. And as well as losing some close friends, uh, the traffic accident. So that would be one of the things I'd say.
0: That makes 100% sense. Um, I'd say, like, some people, like would say that they can learn a lot from specific experiences like you can learn from learn off of experience or you can let that experience pretty much consume you is there any specific experiences that you've experienced in your life that you've learned a valuable lesson from?
1: Oh sure, I mean there's a lot of them Uh, one of them I wished I'd have paid closer attention when I was in school I was more worried about getting through that and getting to work. And uh, I had two things on my mind, cars and girls. <laughs> and I mean, that's just the way it was yeah, back yeah. then. But that I wished I would have cracked the books a little harder. Okay. But I grew up in a household where education wasn't stressed like it was with my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stressed her education. Yep. The. Uh, back when I graduated a high school diploma was the same as a college graduate today. Absolutely, 100%. So, I mean, if you were a high school graduate, it opened up the doors for you. To the today, day, that's not the case.
0: Absolutely, I so, got you. So, I guess kind of transitioning off of that, like what would you say that you know now, like about living a successful life that you didn't know when you were my age, when you were 26? Well, I had, an, uh, when I became in
1: management, I had a African-American former, okay. and he was one of the nicest people I've ever had the honor of knowing in my life. He told me something that stuck with me, and he got a plaque, and he gave it to me, and it said, too soon we get old, too late we get wise, and there was a lot of truth to that, because your life is going to just pass you by. And if you don't wise up and make the right choices and think about what you're doing, you're gonna be on the outside looking in, basically. And anyways, that
0: was one thing that stuck with me, with him. 150%, Um, like, what would you say, like, what would you say or think, like your life would have been like and I, you know, it's obviously it's, it's not looking back with terms of regrets or oh, I wish it would have been this way. How do you think your life would have changed if you wouldn't have gotten drafted? Well, I didn't get drafted. I joined. Oh, you joined? Yes.
1: Uh, I had a lot of anger issues when I came home, and uh, everybody saw it, but me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was everybody else, it's not me. And I'll uh, give you an example, uh, one morning service, I worked for McDonnell Aircraft, and I took a military leave of absence, and then when I got back, I did not get my job back. Mm. Because Vietnam veterans, they had a reputation of being struck out on drugs, and, and, you know, they got their reputation, honestly, because there was a majority of them were. Absolutely. I wasn't. Absolutely. I never did any of that. but. uh it was like we had to fight two battles, we fought the battle there, and then we fought the battle here, and to get accepted, and we didn't get accepted until probably ten years ago. I know I saw a few t-shirts that said I was a Vietnam veteran before it was popular to be one. Mm. And for me to get my first job, they had to lie on my app and say that I was not in service wow. to get hired. And I went to work for Purex, stacking bleach in a warehouse and you yeah, had to 90 days to get in the union. On my 89th day, they came up and told me, we got to let you go because you falsified your app. Why'd you do that? And I said, I needed a job and I said, the way I look at it, I got 90 days work
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, anyways, it, uh, it was tough. It was tough for the Vietnam veteran.
0: That's real um I know we talked about this earlier what was that almost disconnect like between people who were pro-war wanted to go to the war fight for their country and the people who were against the war well it was
1: it was tough because I had friends that opt out and uh kid next door uh I grew up with he uh I don't want to mention any names, but he, he was a draft dodger, went to Canada. He, uh, finally later in life, I ran across him and he told me that he's ashamed of his actions from when he was younger and that he, we, the Vietnam Beck, can hold our heads high with our children and our country where they can't. So that was one of the big things. Uh, you had to make a choice. Either you're going to be pro-war, or you're going to be anti-draft, anti-everything. And that's when they started burning the flags and things of that nature. And, uh, it, uh, it was tough, because you had to make the decision yourself. Absolutely. But, I mean, I come from a family, when my dad was in World War II, all my uncles were in World War II, and uh, I just thought that's what we're supposed to do.
0: Absolutely so and i guess speaking of the war itself you know what was that like what was you know i, I know it's a very broad question but if you could kind of expand your thoughts on the experiences that you had overseas and you know being a young 18 19 20 21 year old
1: well i saw a lot of stuff that a 19 year old has no business seeing and i mean i'm sp- Speaking in general, uh, death is an everyday thing there, and uh, I look back at a couple of the things that I did, and uh, we uh, there was to give you an example. There was a very sampan made for about 20 people, but there was about 60 grams on it, mm. and it was going across this causeway to get to this island that they lived on and a Navy LST ship came by and they they capsized in the wake. Well, these people, 50-something people drowned. I think it was 52. So they came out and took temperatures of the water and they estimated when they would start popping up. So I got put on a detail of recovering the bodies. And the first one that we recovered, the sand crabs go over your body and they eat the softest tissue first. They like, your eyelids, your earlobes, your nostrils. The, these people didn't even look human when they came up out of that water. And the village chief there said I know him, He's where he lives. We took him and put him on the hood of the chief, then cover him up, took him to his house. Me and uh, another guy carried him to his front door and laid him down. And his wife comes out and the kids come out and they're all screaming. And then I realized, what would I have done, say the Russians had invaded us, and some two Russian soldiers would have came up to my front door and laid my dad's body there like it was a piece of trash. And we didn't know any better. I mean, we weren't taught anything anything otherwise. We, We didn't have anything to cover them up with anyway. But that was one of the, that was one of the things that haunted me, and it wasn't so much his wife, but it was those kids. I can still see the look in her eyes, like, "Did you do this to my dad?" And uh, back there, then, if, if the military was responsible for a child's death, I think it was eighty dollars the Americans paid, and if it was a man or a woman, it was sixty-eight dollars. And if it was a water buffalo, it was $144. So water buffalo had more value. Right, it had more value because two or three families shared the same water buffalo to plow their rice fields. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that was some of the tough things. And then uh, another one is uh, the only guy I lost in my squad. He uh, was an African-American, name was uh, Hill. It was from Atlanta, Georgia. Tall, lanky guy, very quiet. And we were back in the rear at LZ Sally on a stand down. And uh, he got a dear John letter. He'd only been in the country about six weeks. He got a dear John letter, and uh, we're all sitting around, fire drinking, telling him, "Hey, man, it doesn't mean anything. Can you you know, explain what a dear
0: Can you explain what a dear John letter is?" Right. And
1: he just got up. And I thought he was going to get a beer, picked up an M16, put it in his mouth, took 16 rounds in his head, blew the top of his head off, did it in front of us, and, uh, I mean, we're all covered with brain matter and blood and stuff, was anyway, he was laying sort of face down and the weapon was still lodged. And Sergeant Ferris came and said, Sergeant Austin, is that man in your squad? I said, yes, he was single, we mess up So we rolled him over, and it was an M-16, just like that one right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, get his thumb off the trigger, because he still rounds in the chamber. The mommy's in the magazine. So I took his finger. He goes, okay, pull the weapon out. Well, I tried, and I couldn't. It was the back base of his skull. And uh, so the sergeant says, here, I'll show you how to do it. He put his foot on his chest, took one of these numbers, you could hear the bones cracking, mm. and he pulled it out. And, uh you know, that stuck with me yeah. for a long time. I mean, I could go on and on with him. So back then when we get out of the service they just give us our mushroom, out pay, and give us a voucher for a plane ticket to come home. I, I know you've been in NAMM for almost two years, go have a good life. They didn't bring us down. Uh, they didn't know any better than now. They have treatments for these people. Absolutely. But back then, they didn't. So I didn't get treated until I was in my early 60s, I guess. Uh, I realized it hey, problems me. I don't sleep, I have nightmares, uh, just different things. And so I went to the PTSD clinic and I did that for seven years. And uh, between the psychologists and the psychiatrists and everything, it, it, my dreams have subsided a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't blame myself for a lot of things that happened where I used to blame myself because when you see a guy commit suicide or you lose one of your guys in the field it uh it weighs on you and you're going you do that what if i did this i could have done this i should have done that
0: and it never stops it would have
1: could have should have it's never going to stop it's just going to continue until you finally address that so i went through what they call psychotherapy Mm -hmm. and where they take an incident and you tell the story and they tape it, and then you come back a couple of days later, you tell the story again, but in a little bit more of a condensed manner. And you keep doing that, and it takes about 13 weeks to where it gets down to where the story's about a sentence long. It suppresses the memory. And that find, that, that that's your trigger point. That that's, And once you find a trigger point, you can deal with it. But that's the key. And, you know, anybody out there that's got uh, health issues, mental, Get help. Absolutely. Because I can't tell you the times I thought about doing myself in. And they say that when you get older and you retire, which made it worse, like in my 60s, you're not getting up and going to work every day anymore. So what you do is you sit and you start dwelling. And I can't tell you the people. You tell me, hey, hey, come back to Earth, man. You got that blank look on your face, and Mm. I mean, you just be staring off. Yep, nothing. And I never could go to a restaurant unless I could see the door. I had to make sure I said now I can do that stuff. But back
0: then I couldn't. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I
0: I had a lot of anger issues, a lot. Now, when did you? When did it get to the point where you were overseas? you were experiencing awful things you were I wouldn't say participating but you were a part of things that things that I wouldn't say you regret but things that you wish that maybe you didn't do and things like that when did you realize that like obviously when you took that body and you put it on that family's doorstep you were just doing it because that was your order that was your job and while it was happening it, obviously you were not you didn't feel awful about it when you did it when did it get to the point where you were like, when you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that.
1: When the dream started and I started dreaming about kids staring at me. Mm. And uh, I guess our minds a funny thing. I mean, we, your subconscious and your conscious mind, it files, files everything. And when we dream, Mm. I had what they call night terror. Mm -hmm. That's where my body is trying to protect me, but my brain, had not filed this away yet. And until you get the therapy, until you get this stuff out of way, it's going to haunt you. And I didn't understand that. But after going through it for seven years, I mean, it's hard to believe that I went down there for seven years, but I did. And I still go down twice a year now, every six months. Mm, for a checkup, that helps? Yes, it helps. That's I helps. mean, I went through the anger management, through the
0: depression, uh, You name it, I went for it. While you were out there, did you have, like, say, like a confidant or a best friend or someone who you could actually speak to about what you you know, I'm saying, how you felt and what you were going through and the things that you guys were experiencing while you guys were in the mud? Well, a lot of the seven years was done in group therapy, so with groups.
1: Okay. So we were with all variants, all four services. And we all had some bad experiences. Okay. And we would we would talk about it. Okay. And uh, how it affected our lives. And, uh, I mean, I tell everybody, you think you're having a bad day going down to some Barracks and spend a day down there. And then to come back and
0: tell me you're having a bad day. That's real. But uh, it's true. That's real. Um... I guess I'm going to transition it to actually looking at a couple of these photos, and you can maybe tell me the story behind each picture, like this one right here. All right, that one there,
1: I was going through, uh, I had just gotten the Nong, and you had to go through a week of jungle training to acclimate to the weather, the booby traps, things of that nature, and that was one of the few times where I had a roof over my head.
0: How how old were you in here? Uh, 19. 19? That's crazy. And what about this one right here? That one there was at uh,
1: Camp Eagle. Uh, perimeter Guard, everybody's gonna take their chances. I mean, their uh, shifts on the burn in the bunkers at night with man Okay, so
0: that's and like a trench That's
1: an it? M79 grenade launcher that I have right there. Okay. But that's... that, uh, that would have been around October of '68.
0: Okay. That's amazing. The uh, Uh, how you look here—it's amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay. What about this one right here?
1: When you're in country, they give you an R and R every year. Okay. And that is uh, a week, and like you can pick where you go—Sydney, Bangkok, Thailand, Singapore. I didn't care where I went, I just I just took the first flight out. But I had been in country like 10 months before I took an r and this here was uh, Saigon, uh, Thompson, the air base. And these two guys here are Australians. Mm. And you can tell they're fine. You can tell that me and Doc, he was a medic. Mentally. I have had too much. But these Australians drink eighteen percent beer. <laughs> and we're drinking five percent here and it's like drinking water to them. It's tearing you up. But uh yeah that you can I got some other pictures. You can look at our eyes and see <laughs> how drunk we were. <laughs> That's
0: hilarious. Wow. What's this, happening right
1: here? This is in Way this was a navy MP. And, uh, Were you an MP at the time? I was an MP at the time there and with 101st. And they built a, a three day in country RR center for GIs for the weekend, like if they'd come in on standout out of the field. And they had uh, a barracks set up for out there on the beach and they'd have uh, USO entertainers and drinking. It was a village getting down to where the ferry brought them across. And so they had to have MPs on both sides to keep the guys from part of the villages. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, we did there. And uh, I had a good rapport with the people in that particular village. That's awesome. Uh, especially with the kids. Do you remember those kids? Thanks. Pardon me? Do you remember those kids? Oh, yeah. And... Uh, I got pictures somewhere where we paid the kids to fill sandbags for us. And I got about 20 kids. Filling them sandbags? Yeah, I'll get those pictures for you and you can throw them in there. That's but, awesome. Uh, uh, it wasn't the kids' fault. I mean, you know, the kids were, no matter where you go, kids are kids. Absolutely. And these people, they didn't care about the war. They just wanted to get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. But, uh, way. In '68, was that offensive, and that was one of the longest battles. Fought. That communist flag flew, I think, for 31 days. Damn. And uh, uh, I don't—I forget how many. Several thousand GIs were killed in that battle. But there used to be two million people that lived in Way, and they evacuated. to, uh, They were refugees, and they went down to the Nang, down in there. That area about 50 miles south and uh, there was only about 50,000 people away when I was there. Wow. Uh, they found some mass graves where the, when the North Vietnamese come in, they arrested all the school teachers, the village uh, chief, the policemen, anything like that. And I know they found that one grave that had 2,000 bodies in it. So mm. they estimated about 10,000 civilians were executed. Sad. That's crazy. So that's what that was. That is crazy. Well, I don't remember this picture. <laughs> you don't remember this one? I didn't get to state along, but this was LZ Sally. And right when I snapped this picture, that's a guy from Guam, we called him Pineapple. <laughs> and this was Hill of, uh, not Hill uh, shoot, I got his name Took my tongue. He was from Tennessee, Paris, Tennessee. I know sooner than t- took this, snapped this picture, and we came under rocket attack
0: right after that
1: right after it i mean damn right after <laughs> you remember that yeah i remember it like it was yesterday you don't forget that stuff damn. <laughs> now after damn that's crazy man But about this one right here that was when i was in jump school i was uh Fort benning georgia it was in january it was a mock-up of an airplane and you had to make five jumps to get your wings and I have to admit that uh, I, I did it because my cousin told me I couldn't do this. I, I'd never make it. I wasn't cut out for it. So I went in service. I went in with a friend of mine and we worked together at Mac, Donald Aircraft and uh, mm-hmm. we went through the whole army together. Oh, same wow. platoon, same squad. That's awesome. And we signed up for airborne And I kept waiting for him to drop out so I could drop out the next day. (laughs) And he was waiting for me to drop out. But that's how I made it through. So it just goes to show show you that if you have not it, to beat somebody else. Competition brings out the best things. You're going to last a day longer than him. And you'll be able to go back and say, well, I lasted longer than Gary. Well, the next thing you know, they're pinning the silver wings on my chest. And that was probably one of the most proudest moments of
0: my life. Wow! But what was your first? That jump was like? uh, eight months of hard work. I can't imagine. What was your first? Your first? Your very first jump. What was that like?
1: Uh, actually, that's the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, they get worse after worse, but you know, <laughs> you know what to expect. On my fourth jump, I hit a guy under the plane. They want you to come out stagger. Mm-hmm. So. They one guy goes by the green light and we call them sticks. And the other one goes by the jump master's tap on the butt. Okay. So when he sees this guy goes, he taps this guy, so you're going out like this. Somehow the line started going like this at the same time. And I hit this guy under the plane. In the air? In the air, yeah. And I bounced off of him and our shoes was opening and then my uh, apex got caught in his shrouds. So I was wrapped up in his shrouds. and you go through the uh, malfunction class, but there was that reserve chute there. In front of you? The front one's a reserve, right. Okay. And, uh, but anyway, that was so tangled up. We're coming down on his chute. Mm-hmm. He gets a hold of my boots, and I'm work on and We got a hold of each other's harness right here these harnesses okay, you guys, you guys have each we each got a hold of one another and i can remember telling him when i get down i'm not doing this again <laughs> and he said me either and <laughs> we hit the ground you're supposed to push away at 50 feet above the ground treetop level so one's supposed to go one way the other supposed to go the other way to keep your teeth out mm-hmm. we was arguing over which way who was going to go because you always want to go with the wind. OK. And, <laughs> and uh, we both went the same way and rolled over. and Luckily, we didn't get hurt. Well, then they came and got us, took me and him. And there was another flight going. And they said, you need one more jump. I said, I'm not doing it. Well, you don't have to jump. But going up anyways. So we put me and him. We weren't supposed to jump until the next morning. Mm-hmm. But me and him, we was at the back of the stick. And uh, these guys were all gone. Jump match come up and said, you ready? I told you I'm not doing it. You don't have to jump. Because I didn't lie to you. But you're not landing with this aircraft. You either going to jump or going to throw you out. But you are not going out that door. <laughs> so I jumped. And yeah. the next day, I got to sit in the bleachers and watch these other guys jump. So, I mean, that was pretty cool in itself right there. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, they didn't lie. They told me I didn't have to jump, and I didn't. They didn't (laughs) tell me they won't throw me out. (laughs) (laughs) Tricks you
0: to get in that plane. That's hilarious. Um, I think, so speaking outside of the war now, going back to back here, back stateside, if you think back, who was your fir- your very first childhood friend who passed away?
1: His name was Wayne Moore. He lived the street over. Uh, he had a sister older than him. And he had two stepsisters, or half-sisters, younger than him. His, Wayne's mom uh, had a divorce, and she met this guy, and she married him. And he was very abusive to Wayne and Sherry. Mm-hmm. And he, the two, his two girls were put on pedestals and Wayne was 16 years old and couldn't come out of his own yard. Damn. And uh, one night it was about two in the morning, uh, our doorbell was ringing. It was in January and it was snowing. I still remember that. And uh, it was Wayne, he was just in his underwear where his stepdad had come home drunk and beat him and threw him out, um, so he came to our house. And the next morning my dad was late for work and uh, went over to the guy. this guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, uh, well then Wayne and I really got close then and then uh, a bunch of them went on a float trip. He was 17. and. Uh, Canoe turned over. They figured what to hit him and they knocked him out, but uh, he drowned. Mm. And uh, it was about ten days before they recovered his body. And I was a pallbearer at his funeral. Was, was my other brother Jerry. Mm. So that was my first friend. Actually, it wasn't the first friend. He was the second. My first friend was uh, eight years old. Mm. I was eight. He was nine. He had a was born with a hole in his heart, and he went in for surgery to repair that. And when he woke up in recovery, he went into a rust and he passed. Yeah. So I didn't understand all that at that time. Yeah. Well, then I played little league baseball mm-hmm. and we had a kid on our team by the name of Bradley. And uh, his mom and dad owned a bar restaurant. We used to go there at lunchtime and eat His kids. Mm-hmm. Cause she'd always have hamburger and chili and stuff for us. Well, anyways, he got hit by a car and he was killed instantly. So I lost a couple of friends, one when I was uh, 8, another one when I was 16. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh,
0: you think about that. Absolutely, all the time, 100%. And then, as you kind of got a little bit older, and I guess it's probably been high schoolish for you. Do you remember when John F. Kennedy got shot?
1: i can tell you exactly where
0: I was at. Where were
1: you at? I was uh, in the gym and that was my pip hour and i had gym that hour and it was basketball season so we were uh shooting layups and uh free throws Mm -hmm. when it came across the pa that uh president kennedy being shot the school was closing so i mean i walked to school we lived right at a mile so we, we wasn't on the bus schedule and uh got on, started on, and uh, it covered all the networks. And I still remember I was sitting there, and I watched Lee Harvey Oswald get shot live. Wow! TV. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna tell you, the nation really mourned. It was uh, it was it was a bad time. Absolutely. Uh, they still to this day don't, don't you know, really know what happened, whether it was a mob hit or I don't know if you knew, uh, Frank Sinatra was in trouble. That's the time? You, well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Frank Sinatra helped get Kennedy elected. Uh, I, know. I knew Frank Sinatra got arrested. He got well, arrested. he wanted, I guess he was a wannabe, but uh, he uh, went to uh, Maine to the Kennedy Center, and the old man Kennedy told him that they needed uh, West Virginia, oh my, they needed that vote mm-hmm. for him to get elected. So Frank Sinatra goes back to Sam Giacchana in uh, Chicago mm-hmm. and they, union, controlled the union. So Kennedy got elected and what was the first thing Kennedy did was made Brother Bobby, Tony Jungle, and the first thing Bobby did was going to crack down on organized crime. Mm. So it was just the opposite of what was supposed to happen. Gotcha. So from what I understand, uh, they say, I mean, There's I was some true, hard feelings. about uh, the only thing that saved uh, Frank Sinatra's life was Sam J. Connell's wife. She liked him singing Chicago. Mm. When he came yeah. yeah. So, uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that was in some of the memoirs of <laughs> the guys. when
0: you were there, back in the the I, I did a lot of reading on that, yeah. That's crazy. And now, what about, as you got a little bit older, well, not not much older, about a year or so later, uh, Martin Luther King, he got shot? remember that. Uh, it,
1: uh, I can remember the riots. Again, remember that uh, I grew up in Ferguson. Yeah. And... Uh, Governor, or I think it's Hearns, Governor Hearns, we didn't have any rights in Missouri. He activated the National Guard right away, right. and he told them that he not, under no circumstance they're going to tolerate anything. And uh, so, and I know, I'm once, I can remember getting them want to get a haircut.
0: Uh, your face. I was a looks junior, like Ford, junior
1: and uh, two barbers. They both had. One had a rifle. The other one had a shotgun. Laying up next to the, the uh, cabinets and uh, asked them what that was for, and they said, "If anybody comes and tries to put a brick through the window, or if
0: anybody tries to burn us out, there. So We didn't have that trouble. Yeah. What was 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 racism prominent in Ferguson at the time? Uh, no, none. There was a there was a, when I went to McCorvey High School.
1: We had uh, thirty-three, if I remember right, black students, and they were bussed in from Berkeley. Ferguson, Floreson was all one hundred percent white middle class. I mean, it's uh, uh, me prejudiced by I, No, I, I'm not a prejudiced person. Never have been. Never will be. I feel we all eat, breathe, sleep the same way. <laughs> skin us, we're all the same. Absolutely. So anyways, uh, yeah, I can remember that. But yeah, there, there was a lot of unrest and what was going on in Arkansas and Mississippi and one yeah. the civil rights workers. And uh, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a bad time.
0: Is there any type of parallel with, because there's a lot of racial tension back then, the racial tension that we feel now in 2019, do you see any similarities or is you it know, different? They, what they've done,
1: is they, they, they went into these inner cities, and they built the projects and stuff, and they were going to, you know, this, 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 and it turned out that it was one of the worst things they could have ever done, but they didn't realize it at the time. I mean, hell, the police wouldn't even go into I go or yeah. Darswell. Uh, it was just bad. Yeah. And uh, they. Uh, when you look back on it, the money that the government has spent, trillions of dollars on the inner cities, and it's still the same,
0: yeah.
1: if not worse. And I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I believe that anybody, if they want to get out, they can get out. But there are they're sort of handcuffed a little bit with the school. With the, the with the systematic. Educa- yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's a shame, it really is, because you get some kids that want to learn, and the, their surroundings is not going to allow them to do that. So I don't know how I feel about charter schools, or I don't know if that stuff works or not, mm-hmm. uh, but they definitely need to do something, and I don't know. I know there's a lot of problems now with the, the police and the black community. And some of it rightfully so,
0: but as a whole, the police officer is a pretty good guy. hundred percent. I, I think within any profession, there's always good and there's always bad. I think the issue with police. I think that uh, you, we can't, a police
1: officer shoots a black unarmed guy or vice versa. There's no excuse to go out and burn somebody's business down. There's other ways to go about it. And But that's way that community feels that's how they get their message
0: I I, I can I, I agree with you but I can also I'm empathetic to the fact that the injustices that have been brought to African Americans is something that's been around for hundreds of years and I think the you know burning down businesses and things like that I don't think it's right but I think it's it's probably gotten to the point where people are just so sick and tired and their back is against the wall and it's it's anger at that, well, that, at that point you know i mean i'm not
1: for tearing down these monuments uh, oh no uh that's oh the the civil rights part of history the, the civil rights monuments and we should we should look, look at the positives and we should learn from that and never let that happen again
0: i agree but i i disagree with some of the Confederate leaders I, the only reason why I disagree I don't think the Confederate flag should be flying over any state house uh, what about the I'm talking about the actual Confederate war war memorials things like that well you know the, the rebels
1: were fighting because that's what their states wanted them to do. No, 100%. And it was brother against brother, It just depending on if you lived in North Carolina or if you lived in Virginia. Like Missouri was split. Uh, I don't know if you know, but the old courthouse in St. Louis used to have slave auctions there. That's crazy,
0: I didn't know that. It, on the steps. Did not know that. Yeah, you dig in that history, yeah, it, uh... And that's where, and I think that's why I, that's why I agree that, yeah, a Confederate memorial, this 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 war hero who was fighting for slavery to continue in the United States, I 100% agree that that memorial should be taken down because for an African American, right. right. that's a constant reminder that, oh yeah, slavery used to exist right here, and this guy right here that we're all glorifying, he really wanted to he was willing to kill another man to uphold that you know awful institution. Damn. But actually, the Civil War
1: really wasn't fought over slavery. That was an excuse that they used. Uh, It was something to do with the Mason-Dixon line. You know, I don't know if you know... Absolutely. uh, The Panhandle of Oklahoma. Yeah. That used to be Texas. Yeah. But when the Mason-Dixon line came through, you had to be below a certain...
0: And Oklahoma picked that up. But at the end of the day, conclusively... It was. It was about money, but it was about slavery because the the states below the Mason-Dixon line wanted to have slavery. The states above the Mason-Dixon line didn't want to have slavery. And the Confederacy was fighting for their right. But when you look back, our forefathers owned slaves, and it was wrong.
1: 100%. Uh, Abe Lincoln tried to heal this country him he didn't want any reparations taken against any of this rebel soldiers. tell them to go home yes start their
0: lives and which was a good start pardon me which i think was a good thing and from what i've read
1: uh abe lincoln was criticized more than what donald trump is today they said he couldn't even come close I they attacked him i
0: disagree i'm just telling
1: you that's what they
0: the only reason why I disagree is because back then the platforms that we have now available, social media, T V, media right. modern right. day media, was not as prevalent back right. then. So there's I don't think it was even possible to have enough of a reach to criticize Abe Lincoln as how much people criticize Donald Trump nowadays because now you can just I can put out a tweet saying I hate Donald Trump. I you know what I'm saying, I can I can now if like, you know, Donald Trump just went to London and they flew over the float of the baby at the parade, that wasn't happening to Abe Lincoln because people in Britain might not even have known, the actual modern day citizens of London wouldn't have known all of the actual day-to-day things that Abe Lincoln was doing, the way that you can see Donald Trump, like back then you don't see, there's not a recording of Abraham Lincoln saying, oh, I'm gonna grab her by the, you know what I mean? Like that's. I understand what you're saying there. It uh,
1: The system we have today, the two-party system, is both of them are so corrupt. 100%. And... How do you fix it? I was listening to this, uh, I can't think of his name, The uh, uh, guy on the Ways and Means Committee, uh, African-Americans, uh, talking about how they, uh, talking about the votes through the history. And they brought up, did you know that when they brought up before Congress the right for an African-American to vote, did you ever see what the total vote was on that?
0: It was probably Republicans were higher because... Not one Democrat voted for it. Every, every Republican did. A hundred percent, but historically speaking, I'm sure you know this, back in the day right. when Abraham Lincoln was president, the Republican morals are what right. modern-day Democrat morals are, and right. it's, it's flipped. I think it was probably the thirties or forties that the everything kind of flipped right. in that sense but I, I think yeah hundred percent a, a Republican from 1916 is a Democrat in 2019 right it's it's
1: well that's what I tried to explain to a couple guys at post. I said instead few people look, don't yeah Democrats I mean Republicans today they're pretty much about to word Be- Democrats were back in the day it's right. and it's that but it's, the Democrats have went so far left and I just wish we had thir- three parties that were we had other choices because I tell you what I didn't like the choices that we had this past election between Hillary and Donald.
0: 100% I think at the end of the day we need to be celebrating more good and purity and genuineness and not people who have a corrupt history or a very uh, influenced history because of their wealth and things like that. We need a The next person in the White House needs to be pure and genuine and actually for the good and betterment of the country and not their own personal agenda in that sense. What's your thoughts on that? I I, I agree with that. And like regardless of Republican or Democrat or whatever the third, it just needs to be somebody for all and not necessarily I have to stick in these right wing like, I have to be very right-wing, or I have to be so left-wing. Like, it just needs to be for everybody. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever saw the movie Blow. No, I haven't. Uh, i heard of it, though. Yeah. Well,
1: if you go back and you look, apparently, the United States government is responsible for a lot of the drug addiction on All the of inner it. city.
0: All of it. They, it's, that, they that, flooded that. the market. That's that's why when you were mentioning the... The, the Nicaragua and the country when you were talking about the how you feel bad, you know, for some uh, African Americans almost handcuffed in, in terms of society, because when I said it's systematic, it's because of that. It's all systematic. It's the 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 drugs. We put the drugs there, one with our own DEA, C.I.A. all that, and then after that happened, then we have the drug war to now penalize all these people after we just flooded those inner cities with drugs and now it's just, it's all systematic at the end of the day. Uh, El Chapo.
1: Yep. Uh, he's still, yeah, he's. He, uh, they sold, showed actual film of them loading cocaine on the CIA aircraft to be taken and distributed through
0: our inner cities. Don Joaquin, that's who it is. Yep. that's, that's, uh, that's real. It's, it's hard, And that's a whole nother level of power and corruption that's, there's no way to really solve that. Do you know what I mean? And you, something like that of that sort is probably going on today, we just don't see it yet. Yeah. We'll watch a documentary or a movie about it in the next 20 or 30 years yeah. and figure out what kind of corruption is happening right now in 2015. Oh, absolutely. It's crazy. Um, to kind of wrap this up, I got two more two more questions. Okay. In your personal opinion, what makes the difference in someone who gives up, fails, or succeeds?
1: Well, I can go right back to um, like uh, when I was in jump school. Like, I'm going to last a day longer than Gary. I'm going to prove everybody wrong that I can do this. And had Gary not been there, I honestly don't believe I'd have went through it. So if you've got incentive and you've got the desire you can do it but it's easy to quit it's hard to keep going on Mm.
0: and I mean it, it was difficult that's real and then lastly so in life like I don't think that anybody should necessarily ever regret anything but as you look back into your past is there any specific, like for me, for example, when I was in high school, I had the option to go, my dad, to, he was gonna buy me a new cell phone, or he'd let me go on this bike trip with my classmates in high school, and I chose the cell phone, and I wish I would have chosen the bike trip. Is there any moment or specific thing in your life that you wish you would have I had gone? an
1: aunt and uncle that lived in uh, Flint, Michigan, and they, uh, she couldn't have kids because when she was nine years old, her grandfather raped her. And that, back then, that stuff was swept under the rug. So me and my two brothers and a sister basically were their kids, and they made me the same offer. They made my brothers and my sister uh, come up here, go to Michigan State, go to Michigan, wherever you want to go, we'll buy you a car, we'll pay for your apartment, we'll, we'll pay for your education. And I opt to go in service. Had I had it to do over again, you know, I got a valuable experience from service. But when I look at what is, how it affected my life all these years, I would have taken the other. Like you, know, I would have went on and went to Michigan State or yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes
1: sense. Uh, but I mean, it's not comparing apples to apples there, Absolutely. That's apples aren't, but it's apples to oranges, but when you come across those forks, and that was a fork in a row, well do I do this, or I do that, and I mean I'm 18 years old, so I saw the movie Airborne and I watched that and I thought, you know, that's all those guys do is crank beer and chase girls, I want to do that, but well, I found out real quick that's not the case, Absolutely. and uh... I was in the army about five minutes when I realized I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. Wow. Getting off the bus. Damn. Yeah. The screaming started. Started right. getting yeah.
0: screaming at it, and you're just yeah. like...
1: And I'm thinking,
0: you know what? You people
1: need to get a life. What's your problem?
0: Yeah, yeah, But they
1: have to be that way. Yeah. Because they... I mean, I don't want to belabor this. I don't want to eat up your time. No, no, you're good, you're good. Uh, when I got off the bus, we went in to the reception area, and we sat down with school desk. And they had pamphlets there. And the guy gets up, he goes, Don't nobody open your pamphlet. He says, You'll notice you have a pencil. You don't know what a pencil is? Raise your hand. I'll tell you what a pencil is. You notice it has a sharp end and it has a soft end. Soft end is for when you make mistakes. We erased them, but if you make a mistake, so let me God, your ass is mine. Open up, and where it says first name, print your first name, put your pencil down. If you don't know your first name, raise your hand, and I will tell you your first name if you don't know your first name. So let me God, your ass is mine. We spent an hour filling out the W-2. James, Paul, Austin, my social security number, and her signature, and guys still got it wrong. Mm. And that's when I thought, oh, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and then I have my first meal with breakfast. I come I come out of the mess hall, waiting on Gary. And there's this guy standing, screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm sorry, grass, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, grass, I'm sorry. I looked at this guy and I thought, man, you have completely lost it. Gary comes out. I go, look at that crazy guy. We start laughing, and uh, the sergeant goes, "You?" I said, "Man, come here." I went over. He goes, "I don't believe you walked on my grass. Tell my grass you're sorry." <laughs> they go, "That guy go, Now nah, I'm, I'm out there <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm sorry, grass. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I Michigan State looked real good. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: But Jim I really appreciate you well thank you probably so much. a crappy interview but no that was amazing <laughs> I really really appreciate it thanks again <laughs> happy Father's Day oh. wow. well yeah, good luck back. with it's your coming. new adventures appreciate it appreciate it thank you so much oh that was awesome uh, you're gonna run your